and welcome back to The Story Goes. I'm your host, Mike O'Mara, and I am sitting at my desk, and I don't really know where I am because I've been so tired the past couple of days, uh, but I am here with David. Say hi, David. Hello. I've known David for a long time. Um, he was a student of mine, and somehow he still made it to adulthood, and uh, he is here today to talk a little bit about, well... Who knows what? That's what the show's all about. So let's start, as we always do, with a little bit of an introduction. So, David, if you could tell our listeners kind of a little bit about you. What's David? Who's David? Um, well, my name is David Flowers. I'm a composer and piano teacher, and I also play flute, and I direct ensembles, and I assistant direct many ensembles, and uh do got a black belt in taekwondo, so I do that a lot. Jeez. Um, age range? Uh, can we just say I'm 23? <laughs> we can say whatever you want, yeah. <laughs> I'm between 23 and 23 and a half. Okay, so there you go. Um, and uh, let's talk about composing for a second. Okay. Did you always want to be a composer, or did something terrible happen to you as a child? I, I actually, I, I was, uh, I think I... My interest in writing music started like maybe sophomore year of high school, uh -huh. I think, because um, I was I really liked the Studio Ghibli soundtrack. Sure, yeah. And I would watch Joe Hisaishi perform, and I just loved his music. And yeah. I was like, I want to write, I want to try writing some of that. Sure. Um, and then I tried it, and I think, and I guess I hopped on the idea that that's what I wanted to do really quick. But before that, I wanted to be like I really wanted to go into politics. Uh huh. Um, but. Uh, my mom is a, a political analyst and she was like she forbade me from going into anything <laughs> politics related because and i quote there are no jobs in politics <laughs> <laughs> um and i was like but you're going to support me going into music and she's like absolutely <laughs> i mean that's one way of getting around the usual parental you know uh fear of doing something out of the ordinary is just to do something right. that they hate even more <laughs> yeah, I well, it was weird because they seemed like all um, even my like my dad seemed pretty excited about it. My mom was pretty excited about it. My grandparents were very excited about it. And my stepmom was very excited about it. And I was like, why do you like why do none of you have a problem with this? Like you all know. I'm begging you not to support me. Right. This is a full time <laughs> career in the arts. Like I will be starving in five years. They're like, it's like okay. a necessary part of living. People have starved for eons. <laughs> Um, so I was, I was actually surprised that I didn't get any pushback, hmm. um, cause they didn't, um, cause like there were no, um, like I was the one who thought about doing a dual degree in music education mm -hmm. because I would then have the fallback of being able to teach. Sure. Um, cause I liked teaching and I felt that I was good at it. So I was sure. like, at least I'll always have that backup option, but you know, everyone, you know, but they never said like, get a secondary degree, like just in case, like yeah. they were always like, no, fine. Like do your music composition degree. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. Yeah. And uh, let, let's let's talk about uh, family for a second. So, big family. Um, I would say, like immediately, I've got three siblings, um, and my parents are divorced, so it's mm -hmm. just us and mom. Um, and then I've got like three half siblings uh -huh. and like four cousins. And so, mom's got three siblings. So big enough. Yeah. And were you always like kind of around each other? Was it like a close-knit sibling-hood, or were you fighting you know, all the time? Or? Well, my sister, my older sister and I were fighting because we did martial arts together. So well, we that were, was planned fighting, though. Right. <laughs> um, uh, so we would practice on each other all the time. Practice uh, in quotes? Well, yeah, there, we put a couple holes in the walls, and Mom Jesus. was happy about that. Uh, <laughs> um, 
but but other than that we were we were a bunch of loners as children we mm. all had our own things to do um and and mom worked two jobs so she was also like busy a lot mm-hmm. of the time mm-hmm. um so we were all more or less by ourselves mm-hmm. which is sort of what we wanted because we liked being alone okay doing our own thing um but it was it's it's interesting because i went to college and would meet friends who had close-knit families yeah. and they confused me i was like what is this is how families act yeah. around each other yeah. um so you had the kind of family maybe where you showed up for dinner at different times and didn't like have a set like we have this time together or right no we had we maybe sat around the dinner table twice a year wow for like, like Thanksgiving would, yeah Thanksgiving and Easter because we because um because um like the rest of the year it was covered in like papers mm. the table was mm-hmm. actually like you couldn't eat off of it because it was covered in papers sure and like homework and like blah sure. blah, blah like some of us would do work out there sure and so we would clear it off twice a year sure and, like. We didn't have enough chairs for all of us, so we would like bring in like our desk chairs and like sit around <laughs> the, the table um, and like have and have dinner. And I guess the, and then that made those occasions like all the more special. Sure, right. right. Um, but like uh, lunch, we were obviously we were usually like out at school or out in activity or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then dinner was usually like um, on us. Like we had just we were just trusted to eat dinner at some point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> At some point, uh, children, please eat. Right, and we were like given all like the stuff, and, and mom would cook a lot of the time. Sure, but, um, but like she would like sometimes cook, and then like she would have to go like teach or something. Mm-hmm. So we just have like leftovers from whatever she had planned in advance. Mm-hmm. So, did this kind of um, independent childhood? Do you think that that has that uh, continued on into adulthood? Like, do you feel do you feel you're a little bit of a loner now, or do you? Are you more, would you consider yourself more of an introvert or an extrovert? Definitely an introvert. Okay. Um, as in it, it, like, it takes a lot of effort for me to be around people. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I'm in like professional situations where there's so much etiquette involved, mm-hmm. I actually do better there because I know I yeah, have, like guidelines to operate with. Sure, me. right. Um, whereas like uh, if I'm ever expected to like socialize. Yeah. Um, uh, or like meet new people. Right. I have no idea what you're to like, talk about. You're like looking for the minutes for the meeting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I've, um, and so, and, but I spend a lot of, cause you know, like being a, a pianist and a composer is a very solitary sort of career anyway. It sure you is. You spend most of your time by yourself. Crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, or writing or like doing, whereas if you're an instrumentalist, like you do practice alone, but you also, like, yeah. you'll have an accompanist most of the time. Right. You so have to like, be with someone. Yeah. Right. Um, um, and so like most of my day, I'm like working by myself. Right. Um, which I guess, you know, it makes that like, that's not weird for me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's completely normal for me to be alone. So mm-hmm. it's not lonely. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, right. Yeah. So do you find it helps um, like where do you find the where do you find your like drive to work when there's no or maybe you find the drive to work because there's always some kind of self-imposed deadline like when there's all that kind of unstructured time that you said that it was hard for you when there's no like goal do you make a lot of goals for yourself then yeah i um i like set i am constantly it's one of my favorite methods of procrastination is revising my five-year plan. Right. Uh, <laughs> you just push it back another year. <laughs> yeah. Or I just like change, change up. Like I like, I'll like set like what I want to have done in like six months or what I want to have done in a year. And like, right. and sometimes that's good because as I'm getting further along in a project, like that idea becomes more concrete. And sure. So I will start 
um, uh, aligning my goals more to meet that. And, sure. Um, but I think fortunately for the past two years or so, I mean, I've got this giant commission that I sort of set up and that was self-imposed. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, I've had jobs and works and like people asking me to do things so that I have deadlines in place mm -hmm. in a way. And mm -hmm. there's always something to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so, which, you know, gets tiring when you like always wake up and you have a list, a laundry list of things that need to get written or things that, to revise or right. blah, blah, blah. Um, but it keeps me, you know, it keeps me busy and keeps me going. Right, right, right. Um, so the only, the, the harder part is because I have such a short attention span mm -hmm. um, and because I work from home, mm -hmm. I have, you know, an eight hour day in which to do things. Right. Um, and so, but the only thing that I know at the start of the day is that I should block out between two and four hours for compo composing. Right. Um, between two and three hours for piano. Right. And like, you know, a couple other hours for administrative things or emails. Right. Um, or like preparing lunch. <laughs> sure. <laughs> at some point. Uh, and then I have to teach. Um, right. So trying to figure out like, um, like, like these days I'm, I have, um, this commission, which is between like 30 and 40 minutes now. Mm -hmm. And most of it's in manuscript. It hasn't been typed up yet. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I wake up and like try to figure out if I want to finish sketching yeah, the right. last movement or if I right. want to go back and flesh out the second and third right. or edit what I've got in the first or start right. typing up. And I like, and it's, Figuring out where to start picking away right. is the bigger question these days. Right, right, right. So I think at this point, we've got a little bit of a, we call uh, in the creative biz, a character sketch of who David is. Um, you are a introverted, hardworking, perpetually worried about your five-year plan yeah. <laughs> uh, composer. Um, so let's, so let's get into the meat of this. So this podcast is called the story goes for a reason. And here's the reason. The reason is, um, well, I named it, but also, uh, because I like to ask each of my guests this question and it kind of leads us into our discussion for the rest of the, of the podcast episode. And that question is, um, do you have a story, um, from your life that you feel uh, changed you fundamentally in some way. So it could be involving a certain person or a certain experience or anything like that, really. Um, but I'm really interested in the things that kind of shift our paths and get us to where we are today or make us feel somewhat different than we did before that event or something like that. So if you have something from your experience that you feel uh, does that, then I'd love to kind of take the conversation that way there are so many yeah well pick one and we'll see how many we get through um i i think i'll uh i think um so about so i graduated early from, from uh, college, college yeah, okay from college i uh, graduated six months early okay um and I was you were premature yeah well <laughs> the last two the last four months of college I had to um I you had to take eight semesters of composition mm -hmm. there's no getting out of that mm -hmm. um and so my last two semesters I had to take two composition classes mm -hmm. at once okay which means that rather than write enough material to uh to fill a 45 or 60 minute lesson I had to write enough material to fill two of those a week right um which was a lot of writing. That's a lot uh, of writing. Um, and I was working on a giant 
orchestral piece and my first one act musical um, and 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 every other thing because it was a small music school and I was I could play two instruments and I was right. like the only you know sort of dedicated flute player left and so I was asked to do <laughs> you're like everything <laughs> you're like the Highlander there can be only one yeah um, and um, so I'd finished I graduated early mm-hmm. and um, I was so burnt out that I could not write yeah for a month and i was getting super worried because i had just finished my degree like i was super excited to get into composition but i could not yeah. get to the piano right 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 um burnout huh and yeah like more than i expected because it's not like i had a bad experience it's just that i had you know too done many so experiences much that when i finally like there was a job that i was working at the time that um i finally was able to quit Mm-hmm. It was making me unhappy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had finished college, which was like a big sort of milestone. And sure. I had finished writing all these pieces. Right. And I had finished submitting all my grad school applications. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and everything was just done. And then I had nothing to do because, like, a couple of things didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't as employed as I wanted to be at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was struggling a little bit. Um, and I had nothing left to do because I didn't have a job. Like I was working on getting the job right. or like working on figuring out my future. So I just had nothing to do, but like figure out my future. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was difficult to do. So there was an application for, um, this festival called the Fresh Ink Festival, mm-hmm. which was hosted by Fifth House. Mm-hmm. And I... So for the listeners that don't know, Fifth House Ensemble is a very kind of prestigious uh, classical music yeah. ensemble based in Chicago. Right, and they do, um, and they are new music focused, so mm-hmm. they like perform mostly original works. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and they have a festival that's sort of half entrepreneurship, half you know new music workshop. Okay. Um, and I threw an application at it because I had nothing, you know, I was like, Might like as well. I need to start opening some doors. Um, um, and I got it, yeah, which surprised me. Uh, and then I had, you know, I had something to do. I had to write the piece in a month. Um, right. And then I had the festival to attend. And in that span of time, there was a lot for me to think about um, where my own music was going. Mm. Um, because I had, so the, so the, the one act that I finished in Mm -hmm. college was called a park story Mm -hmm. and it was a musical about, and it was originally supposed to be, um, well, it was the first segment of what was going to be a larger project. Okay. Um, And the musical itself was sort of an outline or a critique of, um, conservative American Protestantism and how they treated the LGBTQ plus community. And it was okay. based on the story of a friend of mine. Okay. And I was very proud of it. Sure. Um, and we were going to do a couple of different segments on, um, or a couple of different one acts on the church and the LGBTQ plus community mm. uh, because I was involved in interfaith a lot. Um, and because I wanted to work on these pieces that started dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also had, you know, the rest of my composing career to worry about, which is that, like, I didn't feel like you could write politically engaging works only and, like, make a living. Well, yeah, it'd be difficult. Um, and I also felt like if I wasn't, you know, working on my talents outside of those works, then my talent would be suffering inside of those works. Sure. Because it wouldn't be developed. Sure. Um, and then I also had this problem of, I enjoyed lots of other music that had no point to it other than just being music, just being entertainment. And I really right. liked that. I thought that, I think that that's a very important thing to remember as musicians. Right. Um, and the 
going to the festival, I was surrounded by, you know, it's like 20 different composers at various stages in their careers, mm. including the including the people who are mentoring. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of them have vastly different philosophies on, on writing. And some sure. of them are very much um, serious about being the next biggest innovator. <laughs> um, or some of them want to be like the next, you know, great opera composer. Right. And, so, and they all have, you know, these various degrees of, of what I would call um, not necessarily elitism, but mm. they were, you know you get into the stage as an artist where you like have uh, almost a sense of dogma of, mm-hmm. of what is and what isn't music, partially because you have to define what you write. Yeah, you have a mission statement for yourself. Um, and and sometimes it's difficult to do that without accidentally, you know, yeah. discrediting other right, artists. Right, 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 right. Um, and a lot of these composers were, re- they were, one, they were all very talented. And mm-hmm. They had all thought out their premises and, and careers a lot. But mm-hmm. um it really made me, it really helped me to ground myself in this idea that there is, uh, that one of the most important parts about, you know, being a creative artist is being able to create things, um, that don't have a larger meaning. Mm -hmm. Um, because it, one, it humbles you. And then two, it lets you play with your materials without worrying about stuff beyond the materials. Right. Um, so that you can develop how you use them um, right. and things like that. And then also um, this part of your career that most of us got into because we enjoy it. Um, Presumably. Like, right. It would be uh, <laughs> like it would be a shame to forget why you enjoyed it in the first place. And to forget enjoying it, like to stop enjoying it. Yeah. Like, why did you do all this work? You know. Right. Because then there goes your drive. Right. You're just gonna hate yourself the entire time. Um, right, we might as well be in an office cubicle making three times more money. Yeah, and like, <laughs> and 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 there are some composers that do that. You know, like film score orchestrators will go into Hollywood and then, like, basically take adrenaline for years and years and years just to get just to meet all their deadlines. Sure. Um, and then burn out super quick, and sure. they make tons of money. It's a fantastic way to get a career, but like, they are very unhappy by the end of it. Yeah, it's. A, I mean, it's a very nice. Uh, recovery from all your addictions because yeah. you have a because you have an oceanside mansion but uh, you're probably really really pathetic and sad right and it's i mean i guess it's better than it used to be because they used to have to handwrite everything yeah um, but which is terrible um, but like you know the, the industry gets bigger and bigger and more demanding mm-hmm. um and and so yeah so going to that festival made me think a lot about um like the different dimensions of of my career as mm. as a creative artist so what 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 changed like through that festival so like when you came into the festival what did you think of your music as or what did you think your music should do and like when you left the festival how was that different or how was it um refined before i think i was having trouble um well so actually one of the things that um i guess before i was having trouble deciding what I wanted to write because I was under mm. this impression that I needed to decide. Hmm. Um, because when you apply to grad school, work, apply to grad schools and do the interviews, one of the things they ask you is, "What do you want to write?" Sure. Um, and my answer was oh. music. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, because I liked writing different forms of music. Like mm. I, I love chamber music mm-hmm. because I like playing with what ensembles can do. It's, sure. It's, it's a lot of fun to be in chamber music. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot of fun to play with it. I like 
you know, I like writing theater. I write a lot more music theater than I ever thought I was going to, mm -hmm. but I really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, and I like, but I, and I do have aspirations to like write larger ensemble works. Um, but that's another story. Um, um, so, but one of the things, the festival, and so before the festival, I was, I was trying to figure out, you know, like I need to decide, like I just need to work on the Park Story project. Um, or I just need to work on this, or I just need to work on that. Like I have to, like I have to pick. And by the time I left the festival, I was, you know, very grounded in the answer that I was like, no, I don't have to pick. So <clears throat> you spoke a little bit about um, the kind of like dogmatic thinking um, that that you could run into with other composers who like for instance, want to be the next great opera composer or this or that. And they, they have these ideas about like what music should be or even what music is. Um, do you think that your um, kind of spark for variety coming out of that festival might be a little bit of a, not like a mean way, but kind of a rejection of that thinking? Like you think that your thinking is an, is an objective to that kind of thinking? Um. Yes and no, I think, because um, I, I have a lot of concerns about the arts in academia. Oh, really? Let's speak of them. Um, <laughs> well, and they tend to be, um, because a lot of universities these days... Too much Cardi B. Um, they want to focus on, like, what's next for music. Right. And I was never convinced that the modernist approach to art was ever correct right um and not to say that it didn't produce some important and very interesting and like sometimes very good and very well written pieces of music but like academia gets got very obsessed with it yeah um and that's what they're concerned with right um and there are universities out there who have different concerns you know like nyu mm -hmm. wants to produce film scores and broadway composers um but or but like university of chicago is very interested in producing like the next you know like world of sound and sure western university is super interested in themselves like music technology <laughs> and yeah um sorry and, northwestern um <laughs> uh, it's okay they don't sponsor it. no um, they, they wouldn't <laughs> and um and they're all and a lot of universities are very concerned with with defining you know the next era of music and i don't like that because it doesn't it teaches it doesn't teach you to be creative in the sense that they are you know restricting what you're allowed to write mm. um and one of the things that I really valued about my undergraduate experience was that my professor basically just taught us how to be creative mm -hmm. and then didn't put any restrictions on us. And they didn't basically. make you be them. Right. Yeah. It was just like, I'm going to like help you develop your ideas, make sure that you're like thinking as much as you can, like helping you find new dimensions in like your music and explore new opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of composers are like, or in like academia there's so much pressure to write microtonal music or mm -hmm. to write you know spectralist music or to write you know electroacoustic music mm -hmm. um and which is interesting i mean i guess it's on the one hand it's important that um those sort of explorations continue to be developed um mm -hmm. but it's also important not to shut out the rest of musical development um because 
those are still to me those are still you know just as valid i'm not convinced that we've exhausted the pool of possibilities within you know, like neotonal and like, right even within the past 60 years of music there are so many composition techniques that have been developed that were experimented with but sure. not developed sure and i like sometimes take those out of the grab bag and like see what i can do with them and see if i can further like how they're used right um um and yes so my problems with my problems with the academia are, are sort of that they they are very focused on um, yeah. the next realm, right? Always searching for something um, at sometimes at the expense of the some things that we already have, right? Or that we have not exhausted, right? And it does a lot of damage to I think like branding to to like you know like there was there were some people so the BBC Proms makes an effort to you know, put up new music mm-hmm. by living composers you mm-hmm. know, all the time, but they got a lot of flack for not being, for the types of music that they programmed. Because hmm. the types of music that they programmed were not, you know, new or innovative. Or like new enough. Right. Uh, and and I'm sitting there going, I mean, they do have a marketing responsibility. Um, and if you, and if, but there's also, we like to continue this perception that new music is just all these these odd sounding things these things things that are, that are hard to listen to right or or not as um straightforward or they have other goals than being aesthetically pleasing right. but there's plenty of freshly composed music right you know year after year that is new that's right. still innovative in different ways that's more marketable and right. i don't think it harms the brand at all to also program those right I think that um, it's that I think that that might you know just be just as important because those are like the gateway drugs, like sure. similarly to how we use you know Beethoven five in a music appreciation course to get everyone on board to classical music because right. everyone can love Beethoven five. But Beethoven five fucking rocks. Like, yeah, <laughs> and then after Beethoven five, they're like now have the sonatas, you right. know, and like and then people are like oh now I get it, and then they listen to like other music, and right? Like you'll dive into like other traditions, and then like right. maybe start showing them Shostakovich and Prokofiev, right? Um, right. Like and and in the same way you can show new music that's not as off the wall, mm-hmm. um, and then ha- provide a context in which to play the more off the wall stuff in a way that it will be more positively received. Right. Um, and I think that that would be you know very helpful. Like you, um, like in a way that's like I I'm not a huge fan of minimalist music, but like that's one of the that's one of the benefits of minimalist music is you can play it as a contemporary piece and then segue into right. into weirder pieces of music that right. follow more complex contemporary you right. know genres. Right, because you can follow the pattern so easily if it's just a simple pattern. They're just Right. So you can skip around, you can play glass and mm-hmm. then you can play Britain and then you can play Addis. Um I mean I wish they wouldn't and but then you've made it around. <laughs> <laughs> um and 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 sort of you know work your way into music and even like uh, and Bernstein symphonic orchestra mm-hmm. programmed mm-hmm. that much. Yeah. So what do you think makes to you what makes a good piece of music? To me, um, I have like it depends on the genre. I think. Sure. Um, let's. We've been talking mostly what we'd call classical or Western art music. So yeah. let's start there. Um, so I think. As a as a creator, there's a point you like at the beginning. There will be a point to writing the piece, whether sure. that's as simple as like entertaining the audience or paying your bills, as, yeah, <laughs> you know, 
or whether it's as abstract as you know attempting to convey the as as one of my colleagues put it like the shape of an apple in music um okay um um and to me a successful piece of music is something that accomplishes the goal that you set out to do so if you set out at the beginning of the piece to write something entertaining Mm -hmm. and your piece was entertaining then you succeeded if you set out to write a piece that conveys to the audience the shape of an apple and you give them an apple questionnaire before and after yeah or you give or you provide them no context and afterwards if you ask them like what did you think of and no one says apple then i don't think the piece damn it back to the drawing board Um, and that's the goal that you set for yourself, right? Sure. So you could have, like, maybe the piece sounds nice. Sure. You know, like, maybe the piece, you know, is is well-written, which I consider different from successful in a way. But, right. Um, but, you know, you had a goal and you failed to meet it. Right. Um, because your goal was make the audience think Apple and you didn't do that. Right. Um, um, but that's a difference. I like So I do separate well-written and successful yeah. because I think that you can um, execute a piece of music well like i think that you can write a piece that is well put together sure um that doesn't meet your original intentions sure um and so i like to use that distinction when i'm like developing an opinion on music because i also like there's you know because it allows me to say that there's a lot of well-written music that i don't like you know (laughs) yeah well Um, music can be such a music is such a subjective thing too right that when you talk about technique uh, versus um, appreciation, they can be vastly different. Right. Right? Because, like, I mean, if you go b- just based on aesthetics, you could go back to, you know, uh, some Baroque era music that we would say now is very simple in some ways. Like, not that it's bad in that way, but it's like, is it doing anything crazy? No, it's doing what it does. It's right. kind of the pop music of its day, but it's beautiful. It could right. be in the background. It would never offend anyone. Right. And one of the, like, that's one of the criticisms often, like, lobbed at Rachmaninoff, who was mm-hmm. not an innovative composer, but he's celebrated. Because yeah, he's he was, so darn good. Yeah. Um, he was good, but, like, the historians don't care about him, you know? Yeah. Um, outside of, like, his virtuosity and things right. like that. And his, he's well played in the repertoire because his music is so marketable. It's awesome, um, yeah. Right. Um, and it's, like, and even, like, and every composer has a difference. So, like, I've got a composing friend um, who hates Mozart. Because they don't think that they're de- like they're bored by his developments and his no, sonatas. They are wrong, but uh, <laughs> they can have their opinion. <laughs> um, and like and um, and there are like you know as I'm playing through like Beethoven sonatas on the piano, like there are like a couple that I don't like because yeah, you know, yeah. Or you know it's there are, like you have you're allowed to have taste within classical music just because something is a classical yeah. piece doesn't mean that you're not allowed to like it. Sure. Um, and even just because something is well written, yeah. you know, like I was listening to. Um, uh, Schumann's Symphony Number no. Two last night. Mm-hmm. It's a perfectly pretty piece of music. It's very well written. I just don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, same thing with like lots of. There's a lot of band repertoire that's just not to my taste. Right, 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 right. So where like, it's it's always hard to ask. Because I mean I'm a composer myself, so I ask myself all this, all the time. But like, it's hard to say like, well, where where should things be going it's hard to it's hard to put shoulds on 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 arts right so and we kind of all have to kind of have that mini conversation with ourselves because we don't really have the right to say it for the art form right until someone every 50 or 75 or 100 years like write something that's like so crazy that we all copy it pretty much yeah right and i don't i don't know from my perspective i don't think that we've had that yet i think the 
Uh, I don't well, I don't know about this generation. No. Yeah. Although um, Caroline Shaw is doing, like, she had a she those Caroline Shaw's doing some really cool work. Um, mm-hmm. So she might be the next one. But um, but um, yeah, it's I am encouraged by the sort of resurgence of chamber music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because and in a lot of ways, it's chamber music that's oriented towards the community so yeah. there's a you know there's a dedicated group of artists um like like fifth house and like mm-hmm. another ensemble alarm will sound um and like bang on a can mm-hmm. um who like to design programs in the community and for the community and these tend to be like more sometimes politically relevant sometimes not or they mm-hmm. tend to be like working with education mm-hmm. designing arts programs as services to the community right and this is really nice i like i want to see art and the classical establishment itself um, take itself a little less seriously. Mm-hmm. Like I want to see chamber music. I want to see chamber music in in bars, and yeah. in cafes, yeah. like where it was where, where it was originally right. written. Because um, it was the pop music. It was right. the music. Yeah, and I think that um, and and I think that being comfortable playing in venues like like bands do these days being comfortable like playing in more casual venues and going out to meet the audience mm-hmm. rather than expecting them to come down to symphony center or gans hall or, mm-hmm. and um, charging them 200 dollars and making them pay like wear suits right. right um and i think that like that's i think that that's important um because it shows that you know there's not um you know it's especially since there's so much classical music um in in the established repertoire like not even like like let's set aside the new music for a second if you go back to the classical repertoire like haydn was a huge entertainer yes he was his music is hilarious and like so much of it plays so well like Mm -hmm. like some people like may call it like you know cheap like he's just going for but i was like it's entertaining yeah because he knew yeah he knew his audience right and so you can program that in a um like in some place and have you know a good response and then like do go into crazier music and crazier music and then and then and then walk back out of it and have a good venue for like you know a bar or a cafe or something sure um and that would be and that removes some of this stuffiness of classical music um because it's it's almost like classical musicians are sometimes afraid to brand themselves the same way that other commercial artists do because they look down on commercial artists yeah i think they're also afraid to have fun sometimes yeah and (laughs) Um, but if the performers aren't having fun on stage, then the audience isn't having fun at, you know, the, their shows. Right? right. And if, if classical musicians can have fun on stage, then the audience will have fun at a classical performance. Right. Um, I think also cross genre pollination is something that we should, as an arts community, like not be so rigid about, you know, because <clears throat> if you go back far enough, like music was music. Like yeah. a culture's music was the culture's music. Right. And then eventually we were like, well, this is classical, in quotes, music. And then this is theater, in quotes, music. And this right. is pop, in quotes, music. And this is folk, in quotes, music, right? Yeah. But if you go back far enough, they all have this singular line. And I think for audience members who are maybe don't have a thousand degrees in music you know, theory, mm-hmm. they just want to go out and have a fun evening. Right. I think it would behoove the artists to get off the stuffy high horse from now and then and be like, hey, can't we have a night where we program a piece of classical music alongside a rock group? Or, yeah. 
Yeah, and they do. I think. I mean, and there are a lot of groups that are doing sort of better. About yeah, that. right. Um, like I know, and um, like that's one of the reasons I love like Chris Thiele and the Punch Brothers is because they will regularly like they write their own stuff. Yeah, um, and explore like bluegrass virtuosity but then they also will arrange like a mozart string quartet right. or a bluegrass quintet or like a debussy piano suite for quintet and right. then like play that and right. that's a, such an interesting like and, and uh, like some people will scream blasphemy and then like but that's such a really cool avenue to be introduced to classical yeah, music right. through that through a group like right. that right um and now they're being you know welcomed at symphony center which right is really cool right um but and and like orchestras will occasionally do a pops concert right um but but yeah, there's this, um, like, especially like in chamber music, people are so afraid of, like, there are a lot of orchestras that are afraid of playing film scores because they think it's beneath them. Which is ridiculous. Because film scores are easy to play. And I'm like, well, fine. Then they should be easy to prepare. And like, and know. they should be, yeah, easily accessible. And then you can get more people in the seats because right. they know that title. In the realm of, uh, you know, marketing, it's a very marketable thing. And you can, and a lot of film music is, is, um, not only is it not difficult, but it's not very long, so you can program it with other pieces of music, mm-hmm. um, and it gets people in the door. Um, mm-hmm. And um, there's as much to be said for like arts preservation, mm-hmm. although that's you know another conversation. But um, but it's also like the arts, especially the performing arts, are first and foremost entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, like unless they are providing a service in like a church or something like that Mm -hmm. outside of those situations the arts are entertainment and if and so our purpose essentially is to entertain right um and anything we can do on top of that is sort of like icing on the cake right 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 so um oh i just had a great thought and then it left my brain the second i said so hold on i'm rewinding oh okay um quite often and I, because I'm, because I'm a composer myself and because my parents, uh, had many problems with me doing it. Um, I always got this conversation with, um, I got into this conversation with my father a lot, um, when I was a bit younger and, uh, he would say, he would go to the new music concerts that my stuff was a part of in grad school and stuff like that. And then he'd be like, well, who's gonna care about any of that stuff in 50 or 100 years you know and so like for people like my father and I would say sometimes for me too I think about like you know we still play things that are 400 you know 300 400 plus years old right although like what we keep in the repertoire is sometimes very interesting sure right but but the fact remains there are some things there are tons of pieces that as long as we don't have a thermonuclear war here in the next minute um if if humanity is still around in a hundred years i would bet that they're still playing bach yeah i'd bet they're still playing mozart you know yeah i wonder i wonder openly if they'll still be playing any of the stuff that's been written in the past 20 years besides the film scores which are pleasing i think i know i think that there are a handful of composers that have written some pieces that will last. Yeah. Um, um, I think the, one of the problems, well, not, it's not a problem, but like one of the challenges to that is there's just so much more music being produced Mm -hmm. these days. Mm -hmm. Um, or at least there's so much more music being produced that's being noticed Mm because it's not just the courts and churches anymore. It's, you know, anyone that wants to write will write. Sure. Um, but it's also, you know, there's another interesting question. So like, 
yes, Bach is considered, you know, a god in the music world, but for a hundred years after his death, no one knew who he was. I know. You know? Took Mendelssohn. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Mendelssohn. Um, and so, like, outside of his town, he was not famous at all. And then a hundred years after his death, suddenly he became a titan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes that, you know, there is this passage of time that happens before we decide, you know, what a new or what's going to make that in the in the classical rep. Um, mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, like I think, like I think Bernstein's Candide will be around. Yes. Um, um, I think. Like, like Rhapsody in Blue will always be. Right. Um, um, I think, I, and even today, I think that there are a lot of composers that are doing a more interesting job of straddling the line. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, um. Um, for better or for worse, Philip Glass will be around for a very long time. Um, uh, for better or for worse, Steve Reich will be around for a very long time. Sure. Um, Can't and, get rid of the clapping. No. Um, but, and I think part of it will be definitely the fault or, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll either be thanking or blaming the universities in 50 years for what we still get to play. Because hmm. the universities will decide who's important. And they will provide, and they will like sit those for historical records, right? Um, and then like those will be performed, not necessarily because audiences love them, but because the musicologists and music historians have decided that right, that's important in the arts movement, right? Right. Um, I think, I think at this point, um, what's going to start making the grade is not so much instrumental music, but mixed media, mm-hmm. um, and 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 theater and opera in a way i think i think we're passing through another era of that because everyone is so concerned with you know creating the most sensory experience imaginable mm-hmm. sure um but also we often forget because we're you know saddled with all of this american music that there are composers you know all around the world thomas addis will be in the record for sure mm-hmm. um, but there are you know japanese composers who are writing you know phenomenal music that will definitely be in the record um, mm-hmm. and uh composers all over europe mm-hmm. um who are who are writing good music that will that will that will last do oh, you th- latin america well producing a lot of good music these days. sure there's some penguins i'm sure somewhere yeah doing some great stuff as well um is it do you think um <clears throat> that uh we're all a bit nihilistic <laughs> <That's> fun, like <laughs> do you, i mean like I, I think about this I think about this a lot when I'm like sitting down and like pouring over my own stuff and it just takes hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and you get into the or at least you know on a dreary day like this when it's like mid-April and it should maybe have some sunshine but there's snow on the ground outside um, you get to thinking like what's the friggin point <laughs> you know like and I, I wonder sometimes, if, well, I am intrigued by other people's answers to the question, why do you do this? Um, when the guarantees are much, um, I mean, some would say less and some would just say different than in other careers. And I know my answer, my answers for myself, but I like hearing other people who are in the arts, like, wh- like, why do you do this? 
especially when you're you're still young you can get out yeah, <laughs> uh yeah no and it's um and every every time i hit like another uh like financial catastrophe i'm always like man i should really <laughs> <laughs> let's rethink this um um but i think so that one of the other conversations we had at fresh Inc. is is how do you how do you stay in the game um, because right. like a lot of musicians after they finish college drop because That's it's it. just yeah. too difficult. Yeah. Um, and my piece of advice was actually something that I had noticed because I'm actually, and as I was going through college and even now, I'm like jealous of your situation because regardless of whether or not your work makes it into the Pantheon. They won't. Um, <laughs> but regardless, because like, and I think it's freeing in a way not to be concerned with that. Um, right. Um, because then you can just focus on what you're writing and not you know like try to make the next big thing you'll just be involved in your own music and that's right. where like the best writing happens right but, um but like also you have the situation where you have found uh a purpose to have your music written right right so you've got you know like three three plus ensembles every term which expect you to write music so you, right. you have you get to sit down and write music for people right um and like regardless of whether or not like you ever become like huge and famous and and match like larger ambitions that you might have you have like your music will be performed and you have a reason to wake up and write music in the morning yep and a lot of composers wake up and have no other reason to write music in the morning than to try and beat out mozart and beethoven which is a which is a much larger gamble than you know yeah writing for someone and right like so one of the things that like i said you know i was that I said in conversation at Fresh Ink was um, I was like don't be obsessed with becoming don't be obsessed with making your career big you know find a place in the community that mm -hmm. needs music written and and go there and like sit right. there for a while and be a part of that community like know what it means because that's a very fulfilling role yeah and one of the most difficult things to find as an artist is something that fulfills your reason to write mm -hmm. and having that supplied to you by by either you know students or collaborators or people who are like asking you to write music um is is like one of the best things that we can ask for well i think that that there's two i mean there's 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 two things that popped into my mind um when you were saying that i think that one of them is kind of a, a more pure way of looking at it and that is the thought of the artist as a calling which is something that you know if you look at like old school especially well maybe still new school too but like if you look at people who go into things like monasteries yeah people decide to be priests or whatever and you're like why do you like why in the 21st century do you do this to yourself you know and if they're honest like and if they really believe in it they will be like i can't not do it it's a calling it's not it's not a job. It's something that I wake up every day and I feel I have to do. So I found a community that wanted that, that needs that. And right. that's what I do. And I think in my own, um, in my own situation, that's kind of the way that I, that I think about it. And I'm, and, and, and you're right. Like that's, that's why that community, the, the school I founded and lead is so important to me um, as an artist is that it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me whether my stuff ever gets to Broadway. Like for me, I'm fulfilling what I want to do with my life like every day. Um, and I see that it helps people and it changes people, especially young people. And that's like, that's like the best feeling in the whole world to me. So, 
Um, but then there's this other kind of like way of looking at it, which is a little bit seedier, but I think is also, if I'm being honest with myself, also completely true. And that is the idea of the artist as an addict. <laughs> and that's that, you know, like if you watch like documentaries about people going through recovery from like terrible, terrible addictions, you know, or something yeah. like that, you talk about someone who's been on heroin for 20 years or whatever. And they're like, they would do anything to get that high again. Yeah. And I think for for performers and, and composers, I think those highs come from seeing your stuff done, yeah. um, from getting feedback on your stuff, from being in rehearsal um, on something that you worked on or that you're working on. And I think that we have this superhuman or some would call subhuman animal addiction to those feelings. And yeah. we wouldn't be us without chasing that. It'd be very hard to exercise that demon from us, if you want to call it a demon. Yeah. Right. You know? No, and I think that... Um, and, like, one of the things that... Like, it, it can become very restrictive when you get too concerned with, you know, like, having your pieces played at Symphony Center or on Broadway. Yeah. Because, like, then you're always striving to, like you know make that mark right um whereas you know being able to just have something to write for is is liberating because then you can just write you know mm -hmm. like even if it's for yourself and you mm -hmm. feel like you're aiming to just perform it um like being able to create you know is is just so nice um, yeah and then being able to you know like make a living or most of your living off of off of that is that's pretty nice yes it's uh um like people like whenever i've like i've had to talk about you know what i'm doing now to a lot of people who are and i'm like fresh out of college mm -hmm. and, and so like i always tell them that being able to make my living um in the arts full time even if it is you know like all like most if not all teaching um is is sort of it's not like unheard of but it's not it's not like the normal thing for people who like just get out like usually they take like a barista gig oh yeah or, like, some other job and yeah. then like work their way in and i get to be fully immersed in it all the time yeah um which you know is stressful but like that's that's like i'm very fortunate to be in that situation well thank goodness for piano yes <laughs> <laughs> everyone takes piano right um but yeah and i think and i don't i don't know i don't know that mine is as much an addiction i think well i mean on some level i love to talk you know like i love to like i've always thought about being a teacher and professor because i love like lecturing on things that i know about mm -hmm. um and and music is like one way for me to do that like i get to just speak mm -hmm. for a while mm -hmm. um but i also write commute i also write chamber music because i love playing in in chamber ensembles and mm -hmm. I love to perform and one of the most fun performances i've ever done it was was uh was a series of string trios i wrote and we just went out to a cafe and we like and we played together. And yeah, it's fun. And it was yeah, it was a lot of fun. And mm -hmm. We had a good time. It was one of the most positive experiences I've ever had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So where do you see? I mean, you're still super young, but like, where do you see? You said you constantly kind of rework a five year plan for yourself. So like, <laughs> what is what is a little bit about what that looks like right now? Like as it stands right now, where do you where do you see yourself going, or what do you what do you want to see yourself doing over the next you know half decade? I still want to see, like, I still want to edge my way into performing a little bit. Um, uh, on on piano? Or? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I've got, like, 
a lot of things to work on. Um, but um, like I would like to be able to perform my own chamber music with people. Mm-hmm. Um, um, partially as like a practicality standpoint, it's just easier to market if I can also play the piano rather right. than hiring one. Right. Um, Cheaper. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to, um, like, I'm enjoying music theater, and I don't know if I want to, like, run into, like, full music theater productions, but I like the theater aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to write, you know, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so some, like, larger scale projects. Um, but I'm also getting a lot out of, being in a directing position mm-hmm. um because i've been working with this band forever and um not forever for like four months um but, <laughs> forever <yeah. laughs> but um but i like um but it's reminding me because at one point in college i did briefly consider like you know going the direction route and trying to like, mm-hmm. make a living as a as a music director mm-hmm. um and i like i want to do more of that so i guess we're arriving at this problem of i should pick one of those to focus on mm. um um but I would like to, I think in five years, my goal is to make substantially more of my income off of, of composing and directing. And less um, off of teaching? And less off of teaching. Not that I like, um, I like, I still love teaching to death, mm-hmm. um, but I want to also do other things. And mm-hmm. there will always be, like, I will always carve out time to have students because I think that that's incredibly important mm-hmm. as an artist to do. Because um, I think teaching is one of the most important things that we do so i like i always always carve out time in my schedule to teach but i also want to be engaged more on the professional side of the service and like mm. um and be able to direct and put on shows and maybe direct large ensembles or something um but that might mean that i have to go back to grad school which i really don't want to do um <laughs> why not i that's just the the same so the same problem that the arts have in new music they have with classical music oh, yeah. in that you um like if i if i were to go back for orchestral conducting yeah um i would be put under some other conductor sure. who would say you must interpret all these pieces like this and like here's our here's the gamut of the repertoire mm-hmm. and you must be able to do these things and like and like have these set pieces mm-hmm. and as a director that's and that's stifling to me but also um they teach you so much about you know like the data points so like the history and like how other people have done it and mm-hmm. like what are the what's the historical significance on these pieces which is all very important but mm-hmm. they don't teach you um how to direct an ensemble they no. teach you how to wave your baton um but you get maybe 10 or 20 minutes in front of the school's orchestras. Right. Um, which doesn't teach you about anything about rehearsal process. Right. Doesn't teach you anything about, you know, like, you know, carving out, you know, like if you're stuck with an ensemble for not stuck with, if you are fortunate <laughs> enough to be in front of an ensemble for like more than two months, right. Like, um, like what does that relationship look like? What does building these programs look yeah, like? Interpersonal is, relationships with everyone community. Right. Yeah. And I have learned and I've studied conducting for like nearly six years now and I have learned more in the past four months from directing a band. Yeah, from actually have, doing it. Right. Than, I've, um, than I have from, like, any of the previous conductors who have, mm-hmm. like, waxed on and on and on about what it means to be a conductor philosophically, but not about, like, the pragmatic parts of it. Right. You know? Like, they haven't, right. like, developed, like, ear training right. or, like, balance and blend right. or, like, all of the... Um, like so much like a lot of a lot of art teachers I think get so caught up in the romantic side of the mm-hmm. art form that they don't talk about like the boring technical aspects that you actually need to be a good director yeah. or a good performer yeah um, 
Well, it's like, you know, we love our museums and we love our we love looking at our statues and busts of old composers, but we don't really like talking about what it takes day to day to actually be one of those things yeah. not in a museum, not already funded by a king. Yeah. <laughs> like um and that's uh and that's one that's like bad educating, you know? Sure. Because like, you you'll you'll be like um, you'll have all of these conductors that, you know, will talk to you about what it means to interpret a piece of music and mm-hmm. do all of these things like that. But, like, there are so many conductors that won't say, like, basically your job is to be an extra ear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, like... Extra ear and a metronome. through the tricky parts. Like, the most helpful thing I ever heard from a conductor was um, professional ensembles don't need you. Yeah. You have to figure out how to provide a service. Right. Like, you know, you must be uh, a helpful part of that collaboration. Right. Um, like younger ensembles may rely more on the conductor, right. but like especially professional ensembles, if they aren't looking at you, you could just as well not be there. Sure. Um, and so like finding that point at which you actually give them something that they want to work with um, right. provides is is becoming the new job of conductor, especially in professional symphonies who have, you know, young conductors will step in front of um you know, a professional orchestra and conduct Beethoven five. And that orchestra has played Beethoven five yeah, more than that man has yeah. like read through the score. Right. So like, um, and then he'll try to lecture him and then they'll try to lecture the professional orchestra. Not um, going to happen. Right. <laughs> and then they disregard him for the rest of the rehearsal process. Right. Um, or, her. um, but yeah. So what, um, in the, in the, in the end of all things, David, <laughs> This is getting very Lord of the Rings here at the end of our interview, but I can't um, remember the taste of struggle. <laughs> um, what I like asking other arts people this because I ask myself this all the time, and that is, um, what is what, what defines success for you? So, like, we always have these, like, you know, we talked about um, kind of shifting five-year plans and goals that are kind of some of them seem a little bit far out there and some of them are a little bit more close to home and things that we want to accomplish and get done yeah but as we all know uh life takes u-turns and um who knows you know like things happen and and opportunities come up that you never thought would come up and then other things don't pan out that you've been working towards for years and who knows yeah so how for you do you define success as a creative person in particular i guess composer but i think there are two answers to this okay the first success will be when i actually manage to get on top of my finances for once in my career uh and like once that happens then i'll be super happy also like if i can do that while staying in the arts then i'll be like all right right, good like first stage of success found Um, (laughs) level up uh actually i guess that's stage two because i always decided that stage one was going to be making all my income in the arts Mm. um so in that in that place, like I already consider myself to be pretty successful. Mm-hmm. Stage two will be getting on top of my finances, being able to buy the special peanut butter. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, um, um, and I guess like stage three, and this could be any different ways because I think you know one of the main purposes is as long as I'm doing my life like making music and teaching mm-hmm. then i will be fulfilled in mm-hmm. a way like i've i've like made that part and i will be satisfied mm-hmm. um if like um 
the larger amb- versions of like ambitions are like I would like to be you know like someone who helps change the stigma of of the classical music institution mm-hmm. um, I'd like to be someone who like assists in diversifying the stage mm-hmm. and the repertoire um, and I would like to and I would like to be sort of on that new wave of, of musicians who are redefining what it means to be a classical musician mm-hmm. Um, and if I get to be a part of that movement in, in any way, like if I get to like, you know, write new music theater works that, that push genre between mm-hmm. music theater and opera, or if I get to like be one of those composers who writes chamber music that's, you know, designed to be either in the community or, or is, or is part of a composer in residence for ensembles who like want to play in communities and stuff, then that will be like sort of extraordinary success for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's you know I think I think, and this is a, a nice and terrifying place to be. Um, where I am is I've defined as successful, and so like everything other than that is just sort of like um, blessing after blessing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's fortunate, and I would be forever grateful. Um, and I like I would be remiss if I said that you know I would wouldn't be bummed at the end of my life if I didn't achieve anything more. But uh, right, sure. <laughs> but like I would be you know I would still be happy and content, mm-hmm. um, or so I like to believe. Um, well, you got so many years to get better, so you can start now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I've got I've... so much to do. So yeah. There's always and and like I like having so many things to do. So if I've got all of these things to keep getting better at, then. Well, at least I will keep my schedule busy. Yeah, well, it seems like you're on a on a on a positive uh, pathway then. Um, so uh, this this is your time before we say goodbye to uh, plug away. So if you want to say anything that uh, where like where can listeners uh, hear your stuff or see you or talk about arts with you or where I where can they find you? Got a new track on the SoundCloud. Oh snap! So you can search David Allen Flowers on SoundCloud. Um, and on the Facebooks and send me a message if you want. Um, I will be, I am co-writing a musical um, with this guy named Mike and the Ambassadors uh, and that opens in a month. Uh, third weekend of May. Yeah, that's we'll right. Three shows. That's right. Um, I am premiering a new piano sextet that's slightly theatrical and that will be forthcoming in the summer. Cool. Um, awesome. Yes. So find you on the Facebooks? Yes. All right. I also have a poorly maintained website. <laughs> <laughs> like most of us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Lovely. So uh, thank you for listening, folks. And thank you, David, for coming in. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye, folks.